Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, November 1st, 2020, we continue our series titled The Ideal, a study in Colossians. Today's sermon, The Ideal Family, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Enjoy. This morning, we are talking about the ideal family. That's been the title of our series this whole time, The Ideal and we've been trying to discover, man, what's the ideal this, the ideal that. We've covered um, <clears throat> a pretty vast array of topics. We talk about the ideal reputation. And what's the ideal reputation? Is it about being rich and famous? Um, now what the Bible talks about, is it wrong to be rich and famous? No, it's not. But what's the ideal? The ideal is much more than that. We talked about the ideal calling. Is the ideal calling get rich or die trying? Or is the ideal calling living a life that glorifies and pleases Jesus? We talked about the ideal unity it's the ideal unity, like is that political party things, is that where we're gonna find unity? You laugh and say, ah, of course not. Um, the ideal unity is ultimately gonna come from the person of Jesus. What about the ideal truth? Is there an ideal truth or are we gonna continue to live in this, man, what's true for me is true for me and what's true for you, that's true for you. Um, no, we saw the ideal truth is Jesus. What about the ideal Christian? That was kind of a tricky title because there is no such thing, right? There is no ideal Christian, only an ideal Christ. There are no good people, only a good and perfect God. We talked about the ideal self. Um, what is that, just being the truest version of me I can? No, it's actually dying to yourself and putting on the person of Jesus. That's what the ideal is. What we've seen throughout the entire book study, the ideal is always Christ. So any topic that we address ultimately needs to point back to the person of Jesus. So this morning as we talk about the ideal family, um, I would encourage us all to lift our focus from the family and put our focus on the person of Jesus because then and only then are we going to find ourselves having the family that God has called us to have. When I even say the ideal family, maybe some different things start coming to your mind. Here's my family. This is a family photo we did recently. Um, not staged, this is just what we do. <laughs> right? We, we wake up like this. We just go to sleep in our matching fall outfits and wake up with perfect hair. Everything's ideal. Um, the boys are always smiling at their mom. Um, Audrey is always just a joyful, exuberant little girl. Uh, the baby never cries, it's ideal, that's ideal. She also never poops, I never have to change her diaper. She sleeps through the night. Um, Mary and I are always happy with each other. There's just no fights, everything's ideal. When you look at this, you might think four kids, that's not ideal, two is the number. Right, two is the American dream, you can't love four kids. There's no chance. And others, you're like, four kids. How are you going to change the world with only four kids? That's all you can handle. You're a four-kid capacity parent. That's all you got. We've got all sorts of different ideas of the ideal. But again, the ideal family isn't so much about the family. The ideal family is all about Christ. Because what we see in the scriptures is everything is about Christ. Let me read our passage this morning and I'll pray for us uh, and then we'll hop into it and see exactly what I'm talking about. Colossians chapter three beginning in verse 18. I will say this, this is one of the most simple passages to outline, um, one of the most difficult to apply to our life. Three beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's heard, we know it's your word that's been spoken, and this morning we trust you and the things you say as the authority for our life. God, regardless of the society or culture we're living in, regardless of our upbringing, we know that the ideal life is a life that's in Christ. So this morning we come humbly to you, trying our best to submit ourselves to the authority of your word. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see you, our minds to know you, our ears to hear you, and hearts that we can respond in love. God, may we do everything for your glory and your glory alone. And all God's people said... Amen. This morning's passage is going to be uh, divided into two main points with two sub-points under each one, all with the idea of God's glory in the middle of it. What we've seen in the book of Colossians, if we turn back to Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, um, we see that Jesus created everything. Not only did he create everything, he also sustains everything, and everything that he creates and sustains ultimately exists for his glory. That's what we saw last week in chapter three, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it for who? Do it for Jesus. In verse 23, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for who? For Jesus. So everything we have, everything that exists, ultimately exists for the glory of God. And if that's the case, if everything exists for God's glory, then even our families exist for God's glory. And if our family exists for God's glory, even the roles that we play in our families exist for God's glory. So since everything is meant for God and everything is meant for his glory, here's the first point of your outline. Even your marriage exists for the glory of God. Your marriage exists for the glory of God. Now in verse 18 and 19, the apostle Paul is going to invite both husbands and wives to play the role of Jesus within the relationship and he starts first with the wives because ladies first, right? The first thing in verse 18, it says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now again, if everything we do is meant for the glory of God, even the role that God's given us to play exists for the glory of God, that means God is glorified by a submissive wife. God is glorified by a submissive wife. When we talk about glorified, it's worshiped, honored, praised, like we're giving him the credit. Now let me start first with what verse 18 doesn't say, um, because verse 18 has been used to say a lot of things, which it in fact doesn't actually say. Here's the first thing that verse 18 does not say. Verse 18 does not say women submit to men. Does not say women submit to men. In fact, there's many situations where men not to submit to women. Think of your job. Is there a woman in an authority position over for you? If that's the case, then it's pleasing to God for you to submit to her authority in your life. You're never gonna hear us teach this in our household that women submit to all men. Now I have two little girls and they are going to be raised to be strong, independent little girls who love Jesus and someday, Lord willing, will submit to their husband. It does not say women submit to all men. It also does not say women obey your husbands. Wives, obey your husbands. He's not your boss. He's not your master. He's not your dad. Thirdly, it's not addressing men. It says wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So husbands, verse 18 is not your memory verse for the morning. 
Okay, if, if your idea for Christmas this year is to get your wife a coffee cup with a Bible verse on it, I would not recommend verse 18. <laughs> okay, do like the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Do something like that. Don't, <laughs> hey, babe, I got you a cup of coffee. Wives, submit to your husband as fitting in the Lord, right? Hey, 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 all right. No, let's not do that. Okay, let's put the focus where the focus is. Uh, focus it on your verse, the thing that God is saying to you in this passage this morning. So what does it mean? What does it mean for wives to submit? It's not about value, it's about structure. Okay, wives submitting to their husband is not about value, but it's about structure. This is not an inferior role, and it's not a less important role. As I said before, God is calling each of us, the husband and the wife, to play a Jesus role within the marriage. In verse 18, we see the role for women to play is the Jesus role of submission. Now again, if we go back to Colossians 1, who created everything? Jesus. Who sustains everything? Jesus. Who is all of the glory supposed to go to from everything we say and do? Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. So he's, he is like the King of kings, the Lord of lords, glory, hallelujah. He is all the way, he's the highest, he's the most high, okay? He's the, he's the highest of all, he's the most high God, he's the king, he's everything. Jesus is everything. Yeah, what we see in Philippians 2, Jesus who is everything, what did he do in Philippians 2? He humbled himself to a position of a servant. Okay, the king and kings of Lord and Lord. If John chapter six, verse 38, it says, for I have come down from heaven, this is Jesus speaking, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Wait a minute, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the most high God, the one who created everything, the one who sustains everything, the one who receives all glory, honor, and praise isn't doing his will, but he's doing the will of someone else? Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 and 42, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is so stressed out that he's sweating blood. Do you remember the story? He's praying to God the Father and says, Dad, if there's any other way, like if this cup can pass for me, if there's any other way, can we do that? But what does he say? Not my will, but what? But your will be done. It's Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse three, it says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. It's all about structure. Everyone submits to someone. So what is this calling wives to do? What does it look like for a wife to submit? Let me tell you what this means. It means a wife should yield ultimate responsibility for the health and well-being of her family to her husband. Yield ultimate responsibility for the health and well-being of your family to your husband. Practically, what does this look like? I asked the ladies in my small group this question just because I'm not an expert on how wives should submit to their husbands. I thought it a more wiser decision to uh, ask some wives how they submit to their husbands. So I asked our group, what's this look like? What's this mean? What's this look like in your family? And here's some responses I got. It's just, one lady said, it doesn't mean I'm less than him or that he's somehow my master or my boss. It means that he's the leader of our family. He's the authority, the spiritual leader, which he does very well. I give him final decision rights, but he listens to my opinions, my feelings, and my convictions. He loves and leads us well. Another woman, this is the woman in our group who said she has a strong personality type. 
Um, more strong than that of her husband is what they even came to the conclusion on. So this isn't me like batching this. This, this is just their situation. She has a much stronger <clears throat> um, and more domineering personality. And this is what she said. He's like the captain and I'm like the first mate. We both know how to drive the ship. We both know how the ship works. The ship is the family and the home, of course. We both know what it takes to keep everyone healthy on the ship. We know what all the jobs everyone should be doing on the ship are. But ultimately, there's only one captain, and she said, it's her husband. The husband is the captain of our ship. Another woman said, when I think of submission in our marriage, the first word that comes to mind is relief. Relief, like I don't have as much pressure on me. I know he's wholeheartedly seeking the Lord daily, so it's easy for me to be led by him. I don't feel a need to be in competition because I know he sees our roles in marriage to be cohesive and equally important, so submitting to him in our marriage is a delight. In all relationships, both the husbands and the wives said, there is no my way or the highway attitude. Right? I'm the man, does not get said in our households. They said 99% of the time, both the husband and the wife come to the same exact conclusion anyways. Right? They consider all the options, they seek wise counsel, they pray, they consider what God's word says, and then on big important decisions, they make a decision together. But where the decision is split, the wives said, I yield my decision rights to him, and whatever decision he makes, I support it as if I was the one who made the decision myself. It's that yielding ultimate responsibility for the health and well-being of our families to the head of your household, which is your husband. Wives, God is glorified when you play this role, this Jesus role of submission in your marriage to your husband. Now, if that's the role for wives, there's also roles for husbands. And since even the roles we play glorify God, it says that God is glorified by a loving husband. God is glorified by a loving husband. Husbands, we get a do and a don't. Wives just gotta do. We get a do and a don't because I guess we get it wrong more. Verse 19 says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Husbands love, how? In Ephesians chapter five, we get this picture that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. So in the same way that Jesus loves his people, that's the way that Christ or that, that husbands should love their spouse. What's that look like then? Well, one thing Jesus, the one way Jesus loved his family, the one way Jesus loves us is through service. He's a servant. Mark chapter 10 says Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to what? To serve. The role of a husband is a servant's role. Even when it's inconvenient, Okay, Jesus went out of his way to do this all the time. Even when she doesn't reciprocate, I don't recall the story where the disciples washed Jesus' feet, but I see Jesus wash their feet. Even when it hurts, we're still called to serve. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. We serve them. It's also sacrifice. It's love to the point of death. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, we're to daily die to ourselves and give ourselves completely over to our spouse. It's also a sanctification role. The role of a husband in the life of, her, of his wife is a sanctification role. Ephesians 5.26 says that Christ might sanctify her, 
that he would sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, we love our wife just the way she is, but we do our best to help her become the woman of God that God has called her to be. This is what Christ has done for us. Christ loves us just the way that we are. He just loves us too much to leave us there. He helps us mature. He helps us grow. He helps us in that sanctification, that Christian growth process. This is what husbands should do in the life of their wife. We help them grow in their love of the Lord. We help them grow in their relationship with Christ. It's also an understanding role. Husbands, we should understand our wives. Don't chuckle. Right, this is one of those, (laughs) really, can we even do that? Can I really understand my wife? I mean, she is quite different than me. That's fine. We are different. Remember as a kid, you learn all these goofy rhymes, boys are from Venus, girls are from Mars. However it goes, girls like flowers and boys like cars. I don't know. We're different. We are different, but that's fine. We're different, and God is calling us to understand the differences. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. It's this lifelong process of discovery we have with our spouse. Dan and Monica, how long have you guys been married? You pointed to your wife. 40 years in July. Dan, is she right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) 40 years in July. Dan, do you know Monica more now than you did 40 years ago? Monica, do you feel like Dan understands you more now than he did 40 years ago? Absolutely. Absolutely. We should learn, we should grow, we should understand who they are. What do they like? What do they dislike? What's their favorite color? What's their favorite food? Do they like flowers or do they think it's a waste of money? What's their favorite drink from Starbucks? This isn't an elbow time, ladies. This is for the guys right now. (laughs) Do you understand them? We live with our wives in an understanding way. That's the do. The do is love them. The don't is don't be harsh. Don't be harsh. The second part of 1 Peter chapter 3, it says showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now I know this isn't true of all of our relationships, but the woman as the weaker vessel is certainly true of my relationship. I have 110 pounds on my wife. That means I can be harsh with her in many, many ways. And the instruction that God has given us as husbands, don't be harsh. Well, what's that look like? Don't get loud. Don't get loud. Don't yell. This is a manly thing to do. I'm, I might be wrong, but I'm loud. <laughs> you think I'm wrong? I'll be wrong at the top of my voice. You're still wrong, you fool. Don't get proud and belittle her. Don't get big to threaten her. Don't get physical to hurt her. Don't talk down to her. Don't be dismissive of her. Love them like Christ loved the church and don't be harsh. Here's what it comes down to for husbands and wives. Ephesians chapter five, verse 33 says this. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Love and respect. This is the way marriage is supposed to work. 
Husbands, your wife wants your love. She wants your, I do love her. I do love her. Do you show it? Okay, because oftentimes love unshown is love unknown. Love unshown is love unknown. How does she know it? Wives, respect your husbands. He knows you love him. Do you know what he really wants? It's your respect. He wants to know that he's enough. He wants to know that you trust him. He wants to know that you look up to him. He wants your respect. Fellas, if you're not sure how to love, ask her, babe, what can I do that makes you feel loved? Ladies, if you're not sure um, how to respect him, ask him. What can I do that makes you feel respected? I do respect you. I want you to feel respected. What can I do? What can I say? Let me encourage both of you. Check yourself first in this situation, just like Jesus tells us, take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of someone else's eye. Check yourself first. So fellas, if you think you have a verse 18 problem with an unsubmissive wife, it's in all likelihood you actually have a verse 19 problem, which is an unloving husband. Wives, vice versa, if you think you have an unloving husband problem in verse 19, you might actually have a verse 18 problem, which is an unsubmissive wife. Before you look to the other, look to yourself and fulfill the role that God has given you to play. Why? Because when you fulfill the role that God's given you to play in your marriage, who's glorified through it? Christ is glorified. That's the marriage relationship. The next relationship he turns to is our family relationship. So if everything exists for God's glory, even our marriage relationship exists for God's glory, our family also exists for the glory of God. So since everything is meant for his glory, even our families, the roles we then play within our family ultimately exists for the glory of God. So we see that God is pleased and glorified by obedient children. God is pleased by obedient children. Verse 20 says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now in this culture, the, the, the church here in Colossians, um, we've experienced kind of a culture shift because back in the day, it's like children were incredibly devalued, right? Oftentimes they'd get the table scraps, they'd get the leftovers. Um, we've culture shifted the other way where now it's kind of parents get the leftovers, parents get the table scraps, the schedule exists for the parent, the kids, um, the money exists for the kids, the time exists for the kids and, and children have almost been elevated and pedestaled to a place in the family they should not hold. Everything exists for kids. Okay, and, and, but what's supposed to happen, the, the role children are meant to play within the family's obedience. Not vice versa. Children, we're speaking of minors living in the same home. So if you are living in your parents' house, sorry, obedience is the role that God asks us to play even when mom and dad aren't at the top of their game. Even when they're jerks even when they're so irrelevant, even when they don't understand TikTok, the role is still, and all those things are true. You're laughing because you're like, my parents are pretty irrelevant. But the role that God's called us to play is obedience. That's the role that God calls children to play is obedience. Ephesians chapter six, verses one through three, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right for this is right. When children obey their parents, uh, Colossians 3 says it pleases the Lord, and Ephesians 6 says it's right. So parents, if the obedience from our children pleases the Lord and is right, obedience needs to be something we require in our home. Not suggest, 
not consider, not recommend. We require it. We require obedience in our home. Okay, this means, mom and dad, we actually do the things we say we're going to do. We follow through. Okay, we're all guilty of the empty threat thing, right? Threatening your children with things you have no intention of actually doing, nor can you actually do. I told, these are things I've actually said to my kids. If you don't clean up your toys, I am canceling Christmas. Because <laughs> guess who has the authority to do that? Not me, but I threaten them with it. If you don't go comb your hair right now, I am shaving your head. I said that to my daughter. <laughs> if you don't clean up every last candy wrapper, you won't ever have a piece of candy again in your life. Okay, Dad. What we're doing is teaching our kids Dad isn't serious. Dad doesn't do the things Dad says he's gonna do. Dad is just crazy. Parents, we need to require obedience from our kids because through obedience, they learn more than just right and wrong. Through obedience, kids learn more than just good and bad. Through obedience, uh, children learn how to obey and respect authority. Is anyone here just totally free, totally autonomous from obedience and authority in their life? No, none of us are. We're all held responsible to some set of rules, to some set of regulations, whether it's in the job or whether it's in our country or whatever. All of us are held liable to something. Obedience and authority will always be a part of our life. Through obedience to parents, children learn how to trust God. Well, how does that work? Well, let me tell you, as a Christian, there's a lot of stuff in this book I don't understand. A lot of stuff. How it all started, I have an idea, but I couldn't really tell you for sure. How it all's gonna come to an end, I have an idea, couldn't really tell you for sure. All the stuff in the middle, I see God tells me things like, hey, FYI, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways. There's some things that God says and does that I just can't understand. But I listen and I obey. Why? Because through it, I learn to trust. Parents, your kids don't need to understand every little thing that you say or every little thing that you do. Okay, if it's godly, then it's right. And through obedience, they will learn how to trust. Through obedience to parents, children learn about grace, about forgiveness, about mercy, and about justice. Just this last week, walking through the discipline process with one of our kids, we were in the middle of me, he says, please, can I have grace? <laughs> At first, I'm just frustrated. Right, because I'm like, yeah, okay, because you're your pastor dad. You have grace, barf. <laughs> but it's true. Our kids have an understanding of what grace is. They have an understanding of what mercy is. They ask them, what's grace? I'm not sure, but it means I don't get a spank. <laughs> so he has an understanding of it. There's this exchange that happens. You are, you are deserving of a certain behavior, but I'm going to offer grace and mercy. Our kids are learning that in our home through obedience to their parents. 
Children, when we obey our parents, we glorify the Lord. The second thing we see in the family relationship, God is glorified by encouraging parents. God is glorified by encouraging parents. Verse 21 begins with the word fathers. The way the Greek is constructed here, we're actually talking about all parents. Parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And parents, this is what we do, we do provoke. Parents are provocative, okay? Provoke means stimulate. And what we see here is we can either stimulate our kids towards discouragement or we can stimulate them towards encouragement. Hi, how? By, by our actions, by the things that, that we say, by the things that we do. So if you want to provoke your kid to discouragement, if you want to crush their little hearts and make them feel bad about themselves, let me give you seven ways to do that. Here's seven ways to crush your kid. The first way, be a bully, get big, get loud, fear them into obedience. The second way, if you want to crush your kid uh, and lead them to discouragement, show favoritism. That will help them feel really good about themselves. Lack standards. Keep expectations unclear so discipline's just confusing and also don't live by the same rules that you regulate to them. Right, make sure you do your own thing, but you make them do their thing. You wanna crush your kid, criticize them and devalue them. Do the hard work of understanding what makes your kid tick and then hit them right where it hurts. Never apologize, never apologize. Make sure they know that mom and dad are never wrong and that you are the king of your castle. Lack affection, don't show them love, don't show them healthy physical touch, that way they can seek for it elsewhere. Have unrealistic expectations for them. Give them tasks they'll never accomplish, right? Why aren't you washing my car? You're four. Wash my car the right way. I ask my kids this question. Hey, what are, what are some things that I say or things that I do that make you feel sad? What are some things that discourage you? What, are, what things do I do that make you mad when you yell at us? It makes me mad. I don't want mad kids. What makes you sad? When you just don't play with us. Okay, I understand. These are some age appropriate. I've got an eight-year-old, six-year-old, four-year-old, and a six-month-old. Okay, I mean, this looks different for our different kinds of relationships. My, my parents are older, not much older, right? They're in their 50s, but they have adult children. My dad still has the capability to stimulate discouragement or encouragement in me. I can't tell you how good I feel after a lunch with my dad where he speaks life into me. I walk taller and feel like I could conquer the world. All because my dad. I ask my kids, what can I do that makes you happy? What can I do that, that makes you smile, that encourages you, that makes you feel good about yourself? The first answer, oh, oh, when, when we play kill the bear. Now, Kill the Bear is a game where I'm the bear and they are trying to kill me. Um, but, but in this game, I have a foam roller like you'd have at the gym where you roll out and you feel really goofy because you don't really know what you're doing. Um, but I have one of these foam rollers. The kids run in circles and I just hit them with it. And I try to trip them up and smack them and they love it. You know what they're really saying? We love it when you spend time with us. Time, when you stop what you're doing and give us your time. The second answer, oh, when you buy us toys. When we love them with our treasure. 
when we bless them, not, not spoil them, when we bless them with things to show them that we care for them. Again, love unshown is love unknown. Show them that you love them. And what, about, what else? What else can I do that loves you? Oh, when you, when you tickle us, when you hug us, when you, when you kiss us and tuck us in and I, what they're saying is physical touch. Physical touch, I love it when you hug me. And, and one of my boys said, even, even after a spank, even when you hug me after a spank, I know you love me. What else, what, what else when I, what else can I do that makes you feel good or happy or joyful or encouraged? Oh, when you say things like, um, like good catch or like a good hit and then Audrey pipes in or like good dance moves. <laughs> it's the power of the tongue. We have the power as parents to speak life or death into our kids. We can stimulate them one direction or we can stimulate them the other. We can provoke them to encouragement or we can provoke them to discouragement. When we provoke them, when we stimulate them to encourage, who is it that gets the glory? It's Jesus. This is how it all works out. Everything exists because Jesus creates it. Everything exists because Jesus sustains it and all of it exists for his glory. And I know this gets difficult really quick, talking about family. There's so many things we just haven't even talked about. What about broken families? How do, how do we do these things in there? What about blended families? I'm trying to parent with my spouse, but also her ex and another spouse, and we're trying to, it's really, really difficult. What about, okay, I'm single. How do, does any of this apply? Well, all of this applies. God's calling you to be a lover like he's a lover. What about divorce? I'm recently divorced. I'm walking through divorce. How, how, does, how does all of this work? What about abusive situations? What about situations where there's addiction involved? This is really complicated. Really complicated, but the goal is always Jesus. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, if we can simplify it, Christ says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If we can simplify it, wives, love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Husbands, love like Jesus. Children, love like Jesus. Parents, love like Jesus. I wanna put some resources up on the screen for you. While I'm doing that, I'm also going to invite the band out to lead us in worship as we close. Um, all of these resources um, will help you navigate through some of the more difficult situations. Uh, and also just a lot of things we frankly don't have time for in just one message and would never have time for in an entire series. Families are complex, and this is gonna take a while for us to figure out. A great marriage resource, uh, a book called Sacred Marriage by a man named Gary Thomas. Um, the focus is how marriage doesn't exist for your happiness, but marriage exists for your holiness uh, and how to really pour into each other and love each other well. Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egerix. That's that whole Ephesians 5.33 thing of love and respect of how does all of this work. Wives, love your husbands. Husbands, or the other way around. Love and respect, you get it. Parenting, um, creative book title. I love this guy for that reason. Parenting by Paul David Tripp. There's no questions there. It's all about parenting. Um, and also, if you just have some counseling needs, Pastor Jeff really does a great job sitting down with people and walking through this stuff. 
Okay, maybe you and your kid need to work through some stuff together. Pastor Jeff's office is open. Maybe you and your spouse need to work through some stuff together. Again, Pastor Jeff's office is open. He'd love to sit down with you and help you do things in your marriage in a way that will ultimately glorify Jesus because that is what we are here for. Let's pray. God, this is one of those things that's just easier said than done. Simple in theory. I mean, wives submit, husbands love, kids obey, parents encourage. How that plays itself out um, in our relationship seems to just be incredibly difficult. So God, we ask for your help. We ask for your help in doing the things that you've called us to do. God, we wanna have a life that glorifies you and we wanna have a family that glorifies you. God, we're not seeking the ideal. We're not looking for the perfect family. We're just looking to have a family that represents you, a family that loves well, a family that models Jesus to our world so, so well. So God, help that be our focus this week. Help the focus not just be about family, about doing and saying the right thing, but help our focus constantly be Christ. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we respond now with um, hearts that love you and with mouths that wanna worship you. God, we wanna lift your name high. We wanna proclaim that you're the foundation for all of it, that you're the cornerstone of all of it, that God, we can do the best we can with our family, but if you're not at the center, if you're not at the foundation, ultimately the family will fail. So God, right now, we worship you. We praise you. We lift you up for everything that you have said, everything that you have done for us. God, would you receive our worship now? We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Well, Christ can't be the foundation of the cornerstone of your family until he's the foundation and cornerstone of your life. So if you're here this morning and you would like to place your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, I'd invite you um, to come forward after service. I'd love to pray with you, talk more about Jesus, talk more about who he is, talk more about what he's done for us and help you take your next step of faith in a relationship with Christ Jesus. Highlands Church, who created it all? Who sustains it all? Who is worthy of all the glory, honor, and praise? May each of us in our family, in our marriage, and on our family, in all of the roles that he's given us to play out, may the focus be the person of Christ and Christ alone. Go, love Jesus, love each other. We'll see you next week.